Welcome to the Pissed Cast, Chapter 2. I'm Tor, I'm your host, and this is my podcast about being an old metalhead, still going to shows and sharing stories about being a younger metalhead. Thank you to those who listened to Chapter 1, and welcome back. And welcome to any new listeners we may have out there. Let's talk about memory for a second. Memory kind of seems to suck us up and deposit us into the place in the past, any place in the past. Of course, it's a facsimile of that space, those people, their actions, our actions and words. And that sketch of a place in time is colored by numerous variables. But our emotions, the ones we had at the time and developed in subsequence of that snapshot, those override almost every other potential agent that can reshape the actual events of the past in our mind. FYI, this is another disclaimer. Oh, come on! Or the prelude to a disclaimer. Here's the disclaimer. If I get dates wrong, times wrong, words wrong, names or exact order of events a little bit twisted, I apologize to you and your memory and the facts. So without further ado, Let's see where my brain deposits us today. May 1980. Mount St. Helens erupts and buries a stubborn old buzzard named Harry Truman under a metric fuckton of mud and timber. (laughs) No, I'm not going to leave. You're damn right I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay here. Candy companies decide powdered candy cigarettes aren't training young tobacco enthusiasts fast enough and introduce the gateway shredded bubblegum pouch known as Big League Chew. For Big League flavor and Big League bubbles, it's Big League Chew. You're in the Big Leagues, you're in the Big League Chew. Pac-Man debuts in Japan. <laughs> J.M.W. Turner's painting, Juliet and Her Nurse, sells for $6.4 million. And another man who died penniless and miserable makes a wealthy stranger that much richer. Maybe most importantly to me, Peter Chris quits KISS. And so do I, coincidentally. A year and a half earlier, I was mesmerized by Gene Simmons' solo record. But the love of their theatrics faded, and I had to admit that KISS, mind-blowing makeup, could no longer make up for a lot of thinness sold as thunder. Especially not when I discovered ACDC. Bon Scott had died of acute alcohol poisoning in February, but... By summer of my ninth year, actually 10th year, I was all in on ACDC. My nine-year-old brain was born again into the brilliant simplicity of that bubble-throated genius and his frantic friends. ACDC bounced, grooved, and punched in a way I'd not experienced before. I felt a stirring, and I was still a year or so shy of adolescence, so it had to be a pure reaction, had to be all about this music. By May of 1980, I'd finagle my mom into buying me Highway to Hell, a people's music in Sebastopol. I must have played that title track like a loony through the entire summer, hundreds of times. When fall came around, I was entering the sixth grade, and it seemed like Highway to Hell now was everybody's favorite record, like every kid in school. And what a school it was, Forceville Elementary School. It was truly a mixed bag for the primary school kids laboring under its covered walkways and asphalt shingle roofs. The cafeteria was the theater of the brave and was quick to punish any undiscerning diner. I myself had two trips to the office to yak in the secretary's trash can while waiting for a parent to save me. The first one brought on by Sloppy Joe's, the second by Chip Beef on Toast, a.k.a. 
shit on a shingle. On the other hand, the band program at Forestville Elementary School was top flight, and the pathway to the music room ran through Mr. Duncan's music appreciation class. Kids in third through eighth grade classes got a couple hours a week sitting in a chair listening to records ranging from classical to neoclassical. Once a week, however, Duncan, a devout Christian of unknown denomination, would allow four students, determined by a rotating schedule, to offer up a piece of music completely at their discretion for the consideration and critique of and by Mr. Duncan. In truth, by the sixth grade, none of us much cared about Dunk's opinion. It was about showing all our friends how cool and sophisticated our music libraries were. But the Dunker had two rules, and only two rules. One, a single song per kid per class. Two, no swearing. This included piss, fuck, shit, asshole, dick, swallower, fucker, anus face, bohemian butt hair, and the words damn and hell. That's right. The only two words in that day that were consistently allowed on broadcast television were no-goes in Duncan's class. My time at bat came sometime in the blustery fall of 1980. Most of the kids who had come before had played it safe with their music choices, not wanting to risk a trip to Mr. Parnay's office, which was reputedly home to an old oaken paddle that was so worn down by children's backsides that two distinctive circles split by a dark line down the middle were impressed into its grain. And while I didn't want that, punishment be damned. I was determined that I would play ACDC Highway to Hell when my turn arrived. But I wanted to test the waters. So on the day preceding my share day, I stuck up my hand and asked if I could bring in a song with the word H-E-L-L in it. I half expected to be shot down, but after a second or two, Mr. Duncan said, If it's a song about a literal hell, it'll be fine. But if it is a metaphorical or expletive use of the word, you'll have to go see Mr. Parnay and explain it to him. So I went home and literally asked my mom what literal, metaphorical, and expletive meant. Then I poured over the song on my record player, trying to wrap my head around these concepts in relation to this song and its lyrics. After going back and forth, I decided, fuck it, I'm playing it. My day came, and I was, of course, going last. Three songs and Dunk's dull breakdowns of each between me and the adulation of my classmates. Or, alternately, a stiff swat on the hiney. Karen Bell started us off with Call Me by Blondie, and her cool factor was cemented. Daniel Prescott followed with Air Supply, and his generally positive reputation was immediately reevaluated. And then Warren, name redacted, played Grand Illusion by Styx, which felt like it lasted 27 minutes, because it was the last song before what promised to be my cool kid coronation encore. I told all my classmates that today was the day I would be playing the song that says H-E double hockey sticks 20 times in school for our stuffiest of the stuffy music appreciation teacher. I think Mr. Duncan was also tuned into the air of challenge that my choice presented to him, because after about five minutes of lauding and lambasting sticks, he looked at me as he picked up the glistening sleeve with Angus Young sneering and clutching his flaccid arrow devil's tail like a spent penis, and he asked, Okay, Tor, which song are we going to listen to? Not a whit of lightness in his tone. Karen Bell gawped mockingly, and Warren, Daniel Prescott, Damon, Paul, Patrick, Cynthia, Amber, Pepe, every single kid was staring at me, and they knew the storyline to this point. I remember sweating and my vision tunneling, though that could just be a dramatic fabrication that developed over the course of multiple retellings of this story. 
every kid awaited my utterance of those three inflammatory words. I looked at Dunk, then lowered my head and whispered, Girls got rhythm. sure no one actually made a noise, but in my mind, the kids in my class groaned in unison at my staggering display of abject cowardice. The dunker played the song, but I couldn't hear it. Not over the imagined reproofs of my peers. They told me later Dunk hated my selection. In truth, I shouldn't have been so hard on myself. Because the song I chose was a three-minute, 23-second ode to a girl whose sexual prowess was, or is, in the opinion of the song's narrator, virtually nuclear in its intensity. Heaps and heaps less appropriate than Bond and his boys singing about a life so decadent that it can only end in the fiery depths. But it didn't matter. Highway to Hell was the grand slam everybody was waiting for. And I offered up a fly ball to shallow right that didn't even advance the runners. Harry Truman wasn't the only person that got buried in 1980. Well, I mean, of course he wasn't. But... I was completely pulled under by a tidal wave of embarrassment on that day. And old Harry only got buried once. I was interred twice within a year's time by the very same song. The end of my year with ACDC in 1980-81, next time. Okay, it's concert review time. My old butt went to the UC Theater in Berkeley for the Chaos and Carnage Tour extravaganza. It was great, aside from the fact that the UC Theater is again another venue with precious little seating. It was a seven-band show. I missed Slay Squad, which I was a little bummed about, so I ended up starting the night with Crown Magnetar, Magnetar, don't know how to say it. They were pretty fun. Then Sanguasugabog, also don't know how to say that one very well, and they were the highlight of the night. Just so much energy, and they don't appear to take it all too seriously, and yet their pits are crazy. Highlight of the of the night was for sure, I imagine this is a tradition with them, when they threw a football into the pit and offered free merch to whoever emerged with it after the last two songs of their set. Whoever has it last and gives it to us at merch gets hooked up with some free shit. So once you guys to teach me a fucking lesson, let me see how hard you motherfuckers are. Teach me a lesson at fucking savagery. Let's go! From there, it was Aborted, whom I very much enjoyed, then Born of Osiris. Truthfully, I felt a little bad for them. Their placement on the bill was warranted because of their reputation, but they were sandwiched between four deathcore bands, and it was just a tough place to get into and make an impression on the audience that was ready for more aggressive stylings. Next up was Suicide Silence, who I'd seen before, and it was all capped off by the second best performance of the night by Dying Fetus. And I am not a Dying Fetus fan, never really hopped on the train, but they are absolutely compelling and just vicious live. This is achieved with two lead vocalists and a bassist who's basically playing leads throughout every song. And for Deathcore Band, their songs are almost anthemic. It's unique and assaultive, and I highly recommend it. They also had the single most offensive piece of merch I think I have ever seen, and it prompted me to think about doing an episode that's all about super offensive swag, band swag. 
So look for that in the future. That's it as far as concert calendar. And next week, I got nothing. The album of the week this week is Fires in the Distance, Air Not Meant for Us. I believe they're from Connecticut, and this one was released way back in January. Doom, Death, Black, Prog Metal. It's a grand endeavor, and it's got a lot of things wrapped into it. its, it's overall 50-minute runtime that that make it seem like it could it could easily go on for another 30 minutes and you would enjoy it. That's because it never rests in one place for too long. It gives you really great groovy passages, but then lapses back into more proggy parts and technical parts. I think the thing I like best about it is it is probably, in my recent memory, the most effective use of piano in extreme metal. It's not just that Linkin Park-style piano to cheaply elicit strong emotions. There's actually a part in the opening track, Harbingers, it sounds like a Tori Amos piano line. And that's where I would start if you want to just give one track a try. Try Harbingers, because that'll give you a good idea of what you're in for. All the tracks are over five minutes, I believe, but um, well worth the time and the travel. Uh, so album of the week is Fires in the Distance, Air Not Meant for Us. Okay, so last week, I forgot to give any of the information about how to get a hold of me. I am at pissedcast at gmail.com. That's P-I-S-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. You can also look me up at Pitside Dad on Instagram and Twitter. And please do. Please reach out. Tell me if you're listening. Tell me what you thought, good or bad. Also, for next week, since we are doing a second consecutive ACDC-themed chapter... Got a trivia question. What did the creative moral panic people of the 70s and 80s say that ACDC and KISS stood for? They were acronyms in their mind, which they actually aren't. But uh, yeah, see if you can answer that trivia question and reach out to me on Twitter, Instagram, or Gmail. No Googling. I guess you could Google it. It doesn't matter. But uh, try not to. Try to answer it on your own. Thank you for listening. I am your pit side dad. My name is Tor, and I will see you next week. <laughs>